Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and a videocast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. Speaking of traveling the world, we're here in Manila, Philippines, visiting my wife's family and at the same time working and doing a lot of speaking. Actually, this week, I got four speaking engagements in the next five days, including tonight. So after this interview, we'll be heading down to do a speaking at, of all places, I got to speak at the Connected Women's Group with 100 Filipino women and me, the daddy blogger. So super excited about speaking chance. Uh, so make sure you check out all of our uh, speaking workshops and programs at uh, daddyblogger.com and of course, digitalnomadmastery.com as well. And one of the things we love to do is we love interviewing fellow digital nomads, fellow world travelers, fellow entrepreneurs, fellow expats, fellow authors, and fellow influencers. And we have one on the show here today. Her name is Mara Pajas. Uh, she told me the correct pronunciation. She'll tell me what her real name is and how to pronounce it properly. But in English, most people just call it Mara Pages. And uh, it's actually her real name. Yes, that's right. She is the founder of Once in a Lifetime Journey, onceinalifetimejourney.com, and of course, singaporeandbeyond.com. She's been living in Singapore as an expat for over 10 years. She has an amazing book as well, teaching people how to make money online, either with or without a blog. And she's a consultant for companies, corporations about this area called influencer marketing. And uh, this is a great uh, topic that we're going to be covering in a lot more detail on this particular episode. So Mara, how are you doing over there in Singapore today? Um, very good. In fact, uh, let me see. It's not raining, so that's a good sign. I always need to check because in Singapore, you never know. Maybe in five minutes, it's pouring down. So yeah, all good today. Nice and warm as always. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, we got to firstly correct the full name and the pronunciation. I'm just going to keep calling you Mara, which is easy, but you have a, a, a longer name and also you have a last name that's not Pages. So firstly, tell us how to properly pronounce your name according to the Spanish language. This is something that probably nobody who knows me actually knows, but my full name is Maria del Mar Pages Vidal. In Spain, everybody has two surnames. So that's Pages and Vidal, my father and my mother. Everybody gets them, so I'm not really different in that sense. It's just that nobody has two surnames outside of Spain or not a lot of places. And my first name is Maria del Mar, which means Mary of the Sea. But nobody has ever called me that. Um, I guess that my mother gave me that name because everybody in Spain at that time had to be called Maria something. It had to be named after a saint. So my mother is Maria Asuncion. My sister is Maria Teresa. My grandma was Maria Rosa. <laughs> And I was Maria del Mar, which is Mary of the Sea. But I prefer Mar is short and, you know, it's nice and everybody, mostly everybody can say it. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's easy to remember. And if you're speaking Spanish, you know that it means the sea. So that's nice. And Pages in Catalan means farmer. So in fact, in English, my name is Sea Farmer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you for giving us a summary there. I, I love it. Uh, and Mara, of course, uh, really easy uh, for people to remember as well. It's unique compared to Maria. So... Uh, Mara, Mar, so let's hear a little bit of your background. One of the things we love to do on the show is to get to know people's stories. So obviously you're from Spain, from Barcelona, traveling around the world, ended up in Singapore. You know, now you, 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 you've gone from blogging to full-time consulting. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Uh, give us a quick summary in maybe uh, two or three minutes. Go ahead. This will make it look like I'm very old. Uh, I actually look much younger than I am. That's what everybody tells me. But yes, I start, I graduated in business and I did an MBA on business administration in Barcelona at SADE. And then I started, uh, you know, I started on a regular job at PwC. And then quickly, shortly after, I had Hunter offered me a position to work for Tyco, for the American conglomerate Tyco. And that was a job that involved traveling. So that's, I guess, where it all started a little bit. Every week or, yeah, for four weeks, I would be traveling somewhere. 
for like doing a project with colleagues from all over EMEA, other countries in EMEA. And so we would go every Monday, come back every Friday, many times spend the weekend there and then spend two weeks in Barcelona. Then four weeks on a project, two weeks in Barcelona. So I realized that I, I like my job. It was not super glamorous, but it was interesting because Tyco had a lot of businesses in a lot of sectors that had nothing to do with each other from healthcare to automotive. And I had colleagues from all over. So it was very multicultural, but I really loved traveling, right? I love that every project was completely different from the previous one and that it was in a different country and maybe they didn't even speak English and I had to like learn Portuguese or something, right? So that was like the first uh, kind of like experience on like a multicultural and global type of job. And then uh, one, one Christmas in 2005, a friend of mine said, oh, you know, I have this friend who was just uh, is part of a founding team of a consulting company, a telecoms consulting company in Dubai. Would you be interested in meeting them? They're looking to hire. They just started up. And I felt like, you know, why not, right? It only, it, what it had in common in my current job is that it involved traveling and it was outside of Spain. So I had the opportunity to also move abroad. And at that time, Dubai was, you know, the center of the universe, right? Every day you would open the newspaper. There was some article about some crazy thing happening in Dubai. Usually, you know, the tallest, the biggest, the whatever happening, right? This sit in the middle of the desert that didn't exist uh, a year prior. So I interviewed and I got the job. So it was pretty straightforward. I, I left my job at Taiko and I moved to Dubai in February 2006. And at that time, Dubai was like a really crazy place to be. Every day I would wake up and, you know, the roads had literally changed. So you never knew, right? I would go away for the week to do some project with some client anywhere in the Middle East or Africa, come back on the Thursday night and, you know, the road was, you know, a different road. <laughs> there were two more floors in the building in front of me or, you know, it was all quite crazy. But it got, it gave me the opportunity to travel around the Middle East and Africa. So I had a very different uh, types of projects, but it was always in the telecoms industry. So working for telecom operators in these countries that at that time, not a lot of people had mobile phones. So, you know, it was like a very um, expansion and growing uh, moment in, in, in those countries where suddenly everybody started to get phones and then later on internet, right? So I was part of that, uh, of that kind of growth and change. And it was exciting for eight years with that company. I moved to Johannesburg and I moved to Singapore where I currently reside. So I came to Singapore with my old job, opening the offices as a member of the senior team. And then after eight years in consulting, I realized that I love my job. It was super glamorous. It was fantastic five-star resorts and uh, business class, but it was overtaking my life. So I took some sabbatical and then I realized that, okay, I love my job, but it was time to find something that gave me a little bit more of personal life. And that's what I did. And I took a year where I did lots of different things among which uh, starting a blog and looking for what next. And what next was Google. So I joined Google at the end of 2014, uh, very lucky. And uh, I joined Google in Singapore, but with a global role. So I continued to travel. I continued to work on projects that span the globe and that I had that had colleagues uh, and, and members of the team everywhere. So it had still that element, even though I wasn't traveling every single week, I was still traveling maybe every month um, and it was great. And so I stayed with Google for three and a half years. And meanwhile, I started my blog, I grew my blog. And one day I realized that, hey, you know, I could turn this into a business. And I started to also consult two brands in the travel industry that wanted to work with bloggers because of this double side um, experience that I had from 15 years in the corporate world where I even had interim CMO positions and I understood very well marketing and branding and also obviously strategy, which was my main core. And then also as an influencer, I perfectly understand what the concerns, the challenges and, and the goals of uh, influencers are. So I found myself in this situation where I could help brands and influencers both work together. So I started doing that as well at the end of last year. And then in February this year, I left Google to work full time on my blog and on my um, digital marketing slash influencer marketing uh, consulting. 
Awesome. That was a great summary. A little whirlwind in terms of your whole life journey, work and travel. That's amazing. All the different parts of the world you got to see, experience, and also live in, which is obviously very different when you're traveling in. Uh, so you've been in, based in Singapore, and you mentioned something key at the end there. You left Google, and I'm sure you get this all the time. What are we thinking? Why did you leave Google? So why didn't you share with our audience here? What made you leave one of the biggest companies in the world? It's, uh, it's tough to leave Google. Not a lot of people do. I think I once read a report that said that, said that only 2% of the employees leave Google. I wow. don't have colleagues who did, but in my three and a half years, I didn't see a lot of people leave Google. And when they do, it's usually to go to a competitor, right? It's hard to then go and do. It's even rarer to then go and do something completely different. Some people start their own companies, and that's also great. And Google is the incubator for a lot of new companies. But not a lot of people leave Google. And so I think that... Um, some people might have thought I was crazy, but what they said is that you're very brave. And I, I do believe that more than half of the people did think like, you're really brave to do that. Like, you know, kudos to you for taking the jump and following your dreams and doing what you love. Maybe that was a euphemism for mine is completely crazy and has lost my mind. <laughs> However, this was a very well thought out decision. It wasn't like spur of the moment, oh, I woke up today, I'm fed up with my job at all. I built a business plan more than a year before quitting my job. And I started to track my expenses and I started to build a business plan for my business, right? How I would make it uh, work and how I would generate income. Now, mind you, I live in Singapore, which is a very expensive city, regularly in the top three most expensive cities. Rent is very expensive and I have a very high-end lifestyle. I am a luxury travel blogger, so I have to remain a luxury travel blogger, which means that I need to travel in luxury. So there is a certain degree of costs and a and lifestyle that I have been accustomed to and that I did not want to compromise on. So I had to make sure that not only my business uh, was able to sustain me, it was able to sustain me in Singapore with my lifestyle. And that means earning pretty much what I was making at Google. So um, it was a challenge, but um, you know, I worked for a year really tough to like explore different things, try and fail and like learn. And then eventually in February, I realized that I was pretty much there. I was able to already cover my costs and like, you know, pretty much be able to maintain my lifestyle. And so um, an opportunity to go on a press trip uh, for a luxury train in India with the tourism board uh, came up and I thought this is the little push that I need. And so I submitted my resignation. Well, like uh, you said, I think you're definitely very brave. And I'm not saying that in the, the, like, oh, I really think you're crazy. I definitely think you're very brave because as a fellow entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurs, we pursue our passions, we pursue our dreams. Sometimes it's challenges, difficulties, especially with finances. So good on you. You know, definitely a big congratulations for following your dreams and uh, achieving the business that you want to build uh, according to your terms. So good job. Thank you. So in terms of the blog, so you have a couple of them. Tell us about the journey in terms of the blogging side of things. Once in a lifetime journey and also Singapore and beyond. Tell us about when did you start them? Why did you start them? Once in a lifetime journey was started when I was leaving my job in consulting, basically. I took a year off, like practically exactly a year. It took me a year to find my next job and I tried lots of things and one of the things that I started was a blog and this is because my grandpa always used to say you know like it'd be great if you like had a diary and all of these adventures and all of these things that happened to you and all these places that you were going to you could look back on right kind of like a book he was like you know you should write a book and of course 21st century so instead of writing a book I, I decided to start online and I started it for myself it was literally an online diary of all the things that uh, that I remember from my trips and uh, I guess that I realized people were reading it right so every day I would wake up and like realize that people are reading this, uh, you know, this blog that I wrote that 
you know, they don't even know me. And I, I didn't tell anybody that I had the blog. I just started it for myself. But it started to get some attention. And I guess that you put something online and people will find it. Um, so that's how it started. And a year later, I realized that I could, um, I attended the blogging conference. Uh, well, a year and a half later, I attended the blogging conference and I realized that, okay, like there's some people out there who make a full-time living out of it. And I, I could do things to, to make this a little bit more, um, to promote it a bit more and to expand it, right? And I'm a business person, so I kind of like, couldn't help it right so i had to like you know it's a bit like my father I, I i can't just start something right i have to start it and like grow it right he cannot plant 50 watermelons for us he has to plant five thousand. and you know so it's a bit the same idea right you start something and then you want to see it grow right so i moved to wordpress and i started to take it a little bit more serious thinking about it and you know the way i approached it was a little bit more serious still not as a business um but you know, just a little bit more serious and with the with the realization that people are reading this, right? So there are people out there and I can start working with brands um, based on my blog. So I need to turn this into a bit more professional. And then about a year and a half ago or, you know, or almost close to two years, I thought, okay, like um, it's about time to really th think about it as, as a proper business. And, and about a year ago is when I really said, okay, like now it really has to like become, I want it to become my main income. I would love to do this full time and to make it my main source of income. So that's when I really switched a little bit my mindset. And from then until now, my traffic has quadrupled. So I guess that it does work and the mindset is really the, the main starting point. And Singapore and beyond is about two and a half years old. And it started from the... Um, from me noticing that there are a lot of blogs and a lot of uh, sites in Singapore that talk about lifestyle in Singapore and food because Singaporeans are obsessed with food, but, um, but there's not a lot on travel, right? So I thought like this is an opportunity. Singaporeans are not a very large market, but high affordability and people travel a lot. Um, because it's a small country, so you cannot go on day trips within the country, you need to travel abroad. And so I thought there's an opportunity in the market for me to do that. And that's how I started it. And I started it already with the mentality of this is going to be a business. And I will not do the writing. I will outsource this to writers who know these destinations better than me. And so that's how it came. So there's a part of lifestyle in Singapore and there's a part of travel, which is the main, the main element of it. Awesome. So you got these two blogs and then you got the book and you, uh, you're doing consulting now full time. So tell us about the book, uh, because a lot of people struggle with the whole money side of things. So you wrote a book teaching people how they can make money with or without a blog. Tell us about it. This started when about a year ago when I thought, OK, like it, I want to make this a full time job. Right. So the first thing that I did, putting in place, you know, my consultant hat and, you know, my experience telling brands mm -hmm. and companies what to do for 15 years is, you know, build a, a small business plan and a small problem solving uh, exercise. And I realized first thing is benchmarking. See how other people do it. Right. How do people make money? What are other people doing in my industry or in others where I can learn from that? Um, that is making them, you know, make this a sustainable business. So that's that's how the business started, uh, how the, the book started. It started by simply me wanting to do research and understand what was out there. And so it wasn't really me teaching people how to make money. It's more like these are the 30 ways in which people make money. And these are the people that make money with specific names. And I reached out to them and I got their case studies and I got their examples and the tools that they use and, you know, the successful uh, tips that they could give. And so I put them in a book and I, I started it for myself. Then it evolved into a small article on the blog that became quite a large article and then I thought you know I can turn this into a book expand it a little bit more and then add also elements of you know when you don't even have a blog and how you can make money online and and that's how the book uh, the book evolved awesome yeah very similar to why I started the podcast when I was uh, starting out as a digital man I'm like well they're all these digital nomads they're all making money they're all traveling the world I'm gonna know how and I was trying to figure it out for myself so I was like 
let me just interview them. So I started interviewing people and here we are, I've interviewed like 500 digital nomads. So I had no idea when I started, I'd get to this number, but it's just like, well, I'm still learning. Like today we're going to be talking about influencer marketing. I'm like, I haven't, I've talked about that a little bit with influencers, but I haven't talked about it from the perspective of the corporation of the company. So here we are talking about it here today. So um, very similar in terms of the, you, you, you try to figure out what the problem is, what the solutions are, and then, um, Doing the research helps you to answer those questions. Yeah, absolutely. In the end, there's no need to reinvent the wheel, right? As a consultant, you would never reinvent the wheel. Rarely do you propose something that you've never seen before. It's about how good you are at synthesizing what you've seen elsewhere. Totally, totally. So um, your main focus and area of expertise is in this whole area of influencer marketing. Obviously, this is a hot new trend. Uh, I say new in the last you know, two, three years has really exploded uh, from just people who are blogging uh, to now social media influencers, some of who don't even have a blog, the Instagram influencers or YouTube influencers. So I would love for you to firstly define what does the term influencer marketing mean and how does it work? Um, so to me, influencer marketing just means engaging influencers or bloggers or people who have a following of sorts, which can be, you know, in a blog and it can be written and people read your things or it can be, as you say, Instagrammers, or it can be YouTubers, so they don't even have a blog. So somebody who has a following and has a sort of influence uh, amongst their audience and engaging them to promote uh, your brand or to talk about your brand or to increase the awareness of your brand, whatever objective you have. So it's no different from you know, engaging a journalist uh, in the old world of print media. It's no different from you know, talking to your sales channels to make sure that they promote your product instead of the competition. When I was in the telecoms world, right? You go to a shop, you buy a SIM card. Okay, the salespeople are your, your influencers in that, uh, in that space. Uh, it's not different from talking to anybody who used to be an influencer in any place, right? Talking to your, uh, yeah, the doctor to promote your, your medicine or the person in the store to recommend your product. Uh, it's somebody who has an influence over a certain community and then you engage them to achieve your goals as a brand. Awesome, yeah. So a great way of uh, illustrating what it means and then how does it work in terms of the bloggers and, uh, I mean, I'm saying bloggers, but, uh, you know, social media influencers, YouTubers, and of course the brand. So let's hear firstly from, the influencers, like, uh, you know, what do they need to do as influencers? Uh, and then uh, how does it work? Is it a trade? Is it money? Is it both? Is it neither? Walk us through the process from the influencer side first. So usually these exchanges, and, and this is how I like to view it and explain it to people, right? These exchanges need to be an exchange of value for both parties. So both parties need to feel like they're getting something, right? So while in the traditional world, you would pay in the traditional media, you would pay somebody to put an ad and that's the value that they're getting and they're getting money and cash and that's it, straightforward uh, transaction. In the world of influencer marketing or of bloggers, um, sometimes this value is provided in kind, right? So it depends on what on what the value um, that is being exchanged is. So it also depends on how big you are, right? So the bigger you are, the more value you can provide, the more you can request. So instead, or on top of getting an experience for free or complimentary, you may also request cash uh, in exchange, right? So there are times um, as a blogger myself and other bloggers in the industry, you know, it, there are times when I will work with a brand in exchange for products in kind, and this could be a five-star stay, um, a five-star resort, um, four-night stay in the Maldives. And, you know, this might have a tag value of $15,000. And then, you know, I make sure that I provide that brand value worth $15,000. Or if the band that is hiring me is providing a value of five hundred, dollars and I believe my value is worth much more than five hundred, dollars then I will ask for cash compensation on top of um, the $500 experience, right? Also, it depends how much is being requested in exchange. So again, it's the value, right? How much is the brand looking for? How much are they providing? It always needs to be 
equitable and make sense and make it worthwhile for both parties, right? And how you value yourself versus how the other person values is usually where the, you know, the argument and the discussion comes. And then obviously also in the world of influencer marketing, there's this misconception that brands have that, you know, I am giving you a free holiday, therefore you should do this for free. Or sometimes some brands have the policy that they don't actually pay influencers. I think this is all wrong because in the end you need to look back at the value and, you know, if that influencer is not worth cash exchange, then by all means do not pay it. But for some people it, uh, it is worth it and it depends on what you get in exchange. Now what you get in exchange can be, their influence and therefore distribution of a specific message or it can be an asset meaning a video right if you're a youtuber you're an instagrammer you're not just promoting a brand to your readers you're also creating a content and an asset that the brand may or may not be able to use right so that has a value in itself and that is the difference with print media where you know a brand would simply say this is the ad this is my picture just put it in the in the newspaper in which case all they're buying is distribution they're not buying the creation of uh, content whereas with influencers bloggers instagrammers uh, youtubers it's a bit more blurred because they are creating something that has an intrinsic value on its own regardless of the distribution yeah that's a great way of putting it mar uh, so from the brand's perspective, obviously, there's a lot of ways that a brand can market themselves from traditional marketing, like TV, radio, print to like mainstream marketing nowadays, like email marketing, Facebook ads, Google ads, uh, YouTube. Uh, there's so many ways they can market themselves. So why do you feel influencer marketing is such a key way and how do they kind of decide? Because there's like all these options. Uh, should they like do like across the board? Or should they pick one? Walk us through like kind of the, from the brand uh, brand or the company's perspective on choosing influencer marketing. I think that uh, the main reason why brands come to you, to me, to help them uh, with working with influencer and with influencers and doing influencer marketing is because they don't even know where to start. So a lot of them don't even know how, how to fit this into their marketing plans, right? So they are used to doing traditional marketing. They're used to putting print, to doing press releases, to talking to journalists. They're used to doing all of these things, to creating an ad on TV and talking to radios and distributing and booking media slots. All of this they're used to. But then they move into influencer marketing and it's a little bit different. So they don't even know where to start, right? So the first question is the one that you pose. is like, how do you make it work together, right? So in the end, I, when I sit down with a brand, the first thing that I ask them is always, what is your objective? What is it that you want to do, right? And for depending on the objective, sometimes influencer marketing is the answer. Sometimes it is not. And this is, I think, important, right? The main pitfall I see with brands is they want to engage with influencers just purely for the sake of engaging with influencers. Everybody talks about it and also oh, I need to jump on it as well. And my competitor is doing it, so I want to do this as well. But maybe that's actually not what they need, right? If what you want is to promote an offer that you just launched for the people who are in your area for lunch, well, an influencer is probably not gonna be the right thing. Create an ad on Facebook and advertising at lunchtime for people who are in a specific location, and that's probably gonna give you better return, right? If you are a B2B business that is looking to engage with other people who may buy your service, you shouldn't engage with consumer influencers, right? Maybe you should go on LinkedIn and create an ad and you know, produce a nice video and that explains what it is that you do and promote it in the right channels. But sometimes I feel like they want to work with influencers because they just want, right? And then they design campaigns that are doomed to fail from the beginning, right? And as a blogger, I receive those campaigns too, right? So I receive sometimes campaigns that I'm, I know from the start that this is not going to give them the return they want. So they go into influencer marketing with the wrong expectations. And then, of course, the campaign fails and then they blame influencer marketing or the influencer, right? When in reality, if that's what you want, that maybe you should have pursued a different channel, right? So it, it always starts with what is it that you try to achieve? And usually influencer marketing can be a piece of your marketing strategy and your marketing campaigns. 
not the only one, but it can fit nicely to complement certain things. For example, you could engage an influencer or a YouTuber to create a video for you. Instead of engaging an expensive production company, maybe if you want to create ads on Facebook, maybe you can use a content creator slash blogger slash influencer to create that content for you. And then, you know, it might be cheaper and you can host them also for your stay and maybe you pay them on top of that and you also get other assets, right? So you get their distribution and you get that asset that you can use in other channels for you. So it's a little bit that depending what you want to, to achieve, right? And influencer marketing is good for some things, but it's not the answer to everything. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up as well because it's not always the right fit. Um, and, and in terms of like the balance, okay, so you got the influencers on this side, you got the brands on this side, and you're like almost like a mediator. You're consulting and also you have your own blog, so you understand both sides. So I'd love to, for you to kind of describe like what do you feel are the good uh, requirements that a brand should outline and what are the requirements from the blogger, the influencer as well, and the deliverables and the timelines and uh, making sure that both sides are happy? Usually I would start with, uh, we know what is the objective, right? When we sit down together and define a campaign, the brand is always the initiator, right? So in my case, the brand is the one that pays my fees. So they are the ones who would hire me to help. As you say, it's exactly that, right? It's mediating, facilitating, it's being in the middle and helping translate to make sure that everybody gets what's of most value to them. So all I'm trying to do is trying to understand what is it the brand wants and how are they going to get it for the most effective cost and for the best return on investment and the same for the influencer, right? So that the exchange of value is the best for everybody. So the brands are not throwing value for something that the influencer doesn't value and vice versa. The bloggers do not request something that for the brand just makes no sense, right? So for example, if you are a hotel and you want to get somebody, I usually work in travel, right? So if you're a hotel and you're getting somebody to come and stay at your place because you want them to produce a nice video that you will then use to make a Facebook ad for, um, you know, and that person that you're getting, you're looking for like the really huge uh, blogger. Well, that person is going to charge you a certain amount of fees, but maybe a smaller blogger that is a really good content creator, but maybe doesn't have their own channels and their own distribution is something that's better suited to what you want to do, right? So I would talk to that influencer and see like, you know, is this influencer interested in going to destination? Is it something that they value that has a value to them intrinsically just because they would really like to go to the Maldives or they would really like to go to Bangkok because whatever, right? If there is a value to that person, then there's things that matter to them, right? Maybe for that person, what really matters is that, hey, they already are going to Thailand for I don't know what, right? So it would be really helpful if that brand would pay for their flights and help them accommodate specific dates or provide them something that would be useful for them or bring their plus one onwards, right? Instead of, say, the brand going there and like uh, hosting them on like this diving course that maybe that influencer is not interested in. So it's kind of like trying to find for both parts what has the most value for them and the least cost for the other side. And that makes both, both, both parties happy and manage the expectations very well. So sometimes I would deal with brands that would expect everything, right? So they're like, oh, you know, you're going to come and you're going to do these things and you're going to fly overnight in the cheapest low-cost airline you can get. And the next day when you will arrive, you will go straight into working and you will work for three days. And with all the deliverables, that person will have no downtime whatsoever. And then they will expect that in two weeks, everything will be done. Well, maybe that doesn't fit that blogger's schedule. It probably wouldn't fit anybody. But, you know, maybe, maybe if they can wait a bit longer because that blogger has another commitment that fits better or they want to portray that destination or that product because they have something else that complements it better or they are about to write a, a blog post where this brand could fit in nicely for very limited additional effort. You know, like all of these sort of things is something that brands don't think of because they don't really know how bloggers work. And so they assume how the other person will value what they're giving, but they don't understand really the way I understand it because I am in their shoes every day. 
So it's really this mediation and this trying to find somebody. And also the discovery part, right? This trying to find somebody, it's not as obvious to brands, right? You realize when you talk to them that, you know, I, you and I may think like, oh my God, there's like thousands of bloggers, right? I mean, what do you mean you cannot find? Like I can name a hundred of the ones that you want, right? But for brands, it's completely an opaque industry, right? They do not know. They don't even know where to start. And then they don't know how to beat that person and how to know if that person will truly deliver on the commitment. And that I know because now I work with 300 bloggers. It's, it's a fear that's actually founded, right? They, it's actually true that not all the bloggers deliver. It's not just something that you see on the news because it makes a big headline. It's totally true. Sometimes they do, they will not deliver. So because I've worked with them and I'm part of the community and I see them behave and I may, I may even have engaged them in campaigns, I know how to recommend somebody that I know will be a good fit, not only because of the audience, but also because of their ways, their character, the things that they like and their professionalism. So this element that is more nuanced that an AI algorithm in one of these platforms may not be able to bring. I kind of bring it. And brands don't usually need to work with 1,000 influencers. They need an algorithm, right? They need five that will really be the right ones. Awesome. Uh, great wisdom there, Mara. You mentioned something quite important, and it's uh, you know, common in the industry where a lot of bloggers, influencers don't deliver on what they promised. And then uh, you know, a lot of uh, brands are, oh, you know, we work with bloggers. You know, they didn't deliver. And then it gives, it tarnishes the bloggers, it tarnishes. Uh, the influencers. So uh, what are your thoughts there in terms of how can you get someone to do it, right? At the end of the day, you can't really force someone to do something, right? Like you're offering them something, unless there's like a contract, but are you going to send lawyers after them? Like, what are your thoughts there in terms of ensuring, guaranteeing that the influencer will, will, will deliver 100%? If there's payment, that's pretty easy, right? Because you only pay upon delivery. Uh, so that usually works as the best carrot, the best stick, <laughs> carrot and stick, right? So usually if there's money involved, I will not recommend any brand to pay upfront unless it's somebody that I know that, you know, that I trust that this person will believe. And, th and there are cases like that, obviously. Um, but usually uh, I will suggest, you know, payment promptly upon delivery, but promptly, right? Not 30 days after delivery, because, you know, we're in the digital world, right? People don't expect to be paid 30 days to invoice date, right? I mean, who lives like that? You work uh, for a month and then you publish something and then you wait 30 more days to get paid. And unfortunately, companies work like that. You know? I prefer to agree and make sure that brands understand that you need to promptly pay within 24 to 48 hours from delivery date, if you're happy, obviously, if it's like as per the requirements. Um, but, you know, that's a pretty good carrot and stick. And at least, you know, the most you wasted as a brand if they don't deliver is your time, which obviously has a value, but it's like the lowest risk. If it's just an exchange of services, then when it becomes a bit trickier, right? Because you've already delivered your service as a brand. So if that person doesn't deliver, then it's a problem. Um, when you work with people like me or with agencies, there is an, an added stick associated in this that, you know, people, bloggers that I work with know that I will bring them recurrent um, business if they behave, right? If they deliver, if they stick to their commitments. If they don't, I will never send them business again. So they have an added incentive. But I've, and I've noticed this, right? I've noticed over the almost one year that I work with bloggers that because they know that I keep on bringing them business, they are prompt. They are quick to respond and then deliver on time because they know that there are many others I can go to, right? So if they don't deliver, I will go to somebody else next time. So they, they lose the opportunity for the future. Of course, it can still happen. It has never happened to me that I've worked with somebody that didn't deliver, but because my level and my layers of veto and like, uh, you know, um, filtering are so much more than a brand that it would be difficult for me to work with somebody that wouldn't deliver. However, it has happened of the 300 bloggers on like small campaigns that are like, you know, I, I like money exchanges where they wouldn't deliver on time and then last minute they would cancel out, but it's never happened on exchanges of services.
Well, let's, uh, you know, make sure that that record continues, yeah, right, in terms of getting those bloggers who are authentic and uh, real and uh, honest. Uh, so in terms of, uh, like, people who are getting into this for the first time, let's talk about the bloggers. People who are, you know, like there's literally, as we speak, there's people starting blogs here in 2018, 2019 and beyond. So as they're getting into this area of blogging, social media, YouTube, et cetera, and they're wanting to work with brands, what are your suggestions in terms of starting out and uh, reaching a brand for the first time? And a lot of the times they don't have a big following and they're like, okay, what should I do? What are the numbers I need, right? And I don't think there's a magic number there, but what are your thoughts in terms of like people are just starting? So when I started, I, I, maybe because of my professional background, right? I never wanted to engage or approach a brand that I didn't know I was going to deliver value to. So I think this is important to remember. And you can deliver value to a brand with 10,000 followers or with 10,000 readers a month, right? You can't totally deliver that. It just depends who those people are and if that's a real fit for the brand and if you think that you will deliver. For example, even a blog with 10,000 readers could have one article that's really suited to a specific brand that has 500 views a month, right? So if that article is online, and it will always be online because, uh, you know, content online is online forever, right? It's not like a newspaper that you lose. If that's an evergreen post that is talking about, I don't know, best hotels in Manila, and that post is ranking high and will continue to be updated, you can totally approach hotels in Manila, even with 10,000. Heck, you would have 1,000 views. If they are all to that article, that's relevant to brands that are actually in that industry. And that's where I think companies miss it, right? What, is, what matters most is not really the total number, it's like the relevance to your thing and how much it can really bring to your product. So if you're a blogger with 10 articles and all 10 are related to Manila, and one of them is about the specific type of service that a brand is, is providing, I would approach a brand and say, hey, this is my blog, these are my general uh, statistics, this is my audience, and I have this specific article that is doing very well, it has been doing well, well for X amount of months, and I would like to partner with you to review your product and see if I can add it to my article roundup. And I do this, I've, I've done this in the Maldives, I will spend three weeks in the Maldives, right? I have, I have been to the Maldives before, so I already created the content that's performing well, and there are always new hotels opening in the Maldives. So I wanna go back and review new hotel options to see if they are worth adding to my luxury hotel roundup post. And that post is performing very well. It gets thousands of reads every month. So I know that from the get-go, that brand will get a return. They will be put in front of the eyes of people who are looking for luxury hotels in the Maldives. So it doesn't matter that I have 200 page views. I could well have 10,000, it would be the same return for that brand, right? So instead of looking at the total numbers, look at how relevant those numbers are to you. And mind you, in four and a half years, nobody has ever asked me about that. And I use this nowadays to approach to brands because I only approach brands that I think I can provide value. And this is a win-win, right? I will be able to improve my article and keep updated with the latest hotel openings. I will also get a nice time in the Maldives. And the brand will get their brand put in front of people who are reading about this. And I will write an honest review. So, you know, not all the hotels in the roundup are good for everybody, right? Each of them is good for a specific type of person. So I approach hotels that were complementary to each other. Some were more families, some were more couples, some, you know, had good diving, some had great whatever, you know? So that's how you approach brands in a way that is independent of how big your block is. Awesome, and I'd love to uh, flip it around here. So there's uh, small business owners uh, who want to work with bloggers, but maybe they can't afford a big budget or maybe they can't afford a consultant, but they still do have this desire to maybe get some of their products uh, reviewed or books reviewed or courses reviewed or uh, whatever the business is offering. What are your tips for the brand, uh, even though it might be a small business, to work with bloggers and influencers? 
find people, it's the same idea, right? Just find people for whom your product is gonna be especially valuable. And that may be trickier. You may have to spend more time online trying to find those people, but find people who are already either users of your product or users of the competition or who are really in your niche, right? So if you're gonna sell these new yoga mats, find people who are yogis and who, um, you know, who are traveling. And, you know, if you're, let's say your yoga mat is very good for travel because it rolls out really flatly and it's like really convenient for travel. Find people for whom that will have an intrinsic value in itself and then see if, if they would be willing to, to review your product. And don't go for the really big ones, right? Because the really big ones will ask you for money, right? Because they are not just... Um, providing you with a review and with some content you can use. They're also providing you distribution to a huge audience. So find the smaller people who you think have potential and that are really a good fit for your brand. So, you know, maybe find the equivalent of my Maldives article, right? Find the people who have the specific articles that are good for these things and then reach out to them. And maybe put less budget to reach out to three people who really have those Maldives articles or those Manila best hotel articles and pay those people instead of reaching to a thousand and paying them less and then maybe not really getting your product in front of anybody, right? Yeah, definitely quality over quantity. That's great advice there. So I'm curious to know if you want to pull out your crystal ball, what do you feel is the future of influencer marketing? Because this is definitely in the last few years, it's really exploding. More companies want to get on board, more people want to work with, with, with companies. So where do you see this going? Is it going to get regulated? Is it going to stay a little bit chaotic the way it is now? Or are there going to be more people like yourself who are going to come in and help fix the problem? Where do you see the future when it comes to influencer marketing, Mark? I would love to see it professionalized. You know, I think one of the main problems that gives bad name to the industry is all the people who don't deliver. And it does happen. Um, and that is probably because there are no barriers to entry, right? Like you were saying that there's lots of people starting a blog right now, right? because there's no barrier to entry. Anybody can do it. It costs practically nothing. And you don't really need to write to, to know how to write. You don't need any technical skills. Everything is done for the dummiest person, right? Like I could start a blog with nothing, right? I could do it in five minutes now for free. So because there's no barrier to entry, it's very hard for brands to differentiate. And so they end up looking at the things that are quantitative and tangible, which are like numbers, how many followers you have and how nice your photos are. Um, I hope that it will be professionalized in some way, that there will be a sort of body um, that will regulate that from like a professional point of view. And then from the legal point of view, brands have governments and, and agencies have started to regulate it already. There are lots of requirements in a lot of countries for people to um, you know, disclose um, agreements with brands. I always disclose. I am often in campaigns where I know other people are there as well and they are also being paid like me and they are not disclosing. And uh, I think that even in, in, you know, in the end, in the longer term, that's not good for anybody. The problem is that brands also don't want you to disclose. So it's like, you know, they don't want you to disclose and then and bloggers also don't want to disclose, so nobody discloses, even though it's now a legal requirement in a lot of countries. So I think there will be lots of regulation on both sides, and I hope that also from the professional side, like you know, like journalists have press um, press cards and so on. Um, I also think it will it is already moving very much towards video, and I think it will become professionalized as well in the sense of like brands understanding that there are that the word influencer is like is not like a drawer for anything there will be different specific types of influencers, right? You have bloggers who write, you have content creators who may not have their own distribution platforms. You have people who are YouTubers and they only work on YouTube. You have people who are Instagrammers and you will have people who do a bit of everything, right? And you have people who will literally just have a blog and have no whatsoever social media presence. So I think that brands are becoming a bit smarter at defining 
who do they want to work with and why and in what form. And there are agencies and platforms that help do that. But I think brands will start, I hope, will start to become a little bit more sophisticated themselves as well and hopefully start to put budgets uh, and start to track things properly and, and set campaigns for success so that they can see the value of the campaigns rather than, oh, you know, my photos were not as nice as I thought they were going to be. Well, that's not telling me whether it was successful or not either, right? But that's uh, pretty much how a lot of brands evaluate the things now, right? If they like what the deliverable is, whether it had impact or not is kind of secondary. So I think sophistication, regulation, and professionalism, hopefully in you know in a couple of years uh, will be the name of the game. Well, you're definitely leading the charge there and being a trailblazer in the industry, helping bring that sophistication and professionalism and regulation. So thank you for all of the insights here. So our audience is mostly influencers, less brands, but yeah, there are definitely business owners who want to work with influencers too. Um, tell us about how can people connect with you? They might want to get some wisdom insights into blogging, into being an influencer. And of course, if they're a business owner, entrepreneur, uh, corporate, if they want to hire you for consulting, how can they reach out? So you can always find me on social media under my name, Mar Pages, um, C Farmer. Um, or you can uh, find me on my blog. There's a contact uh, page where you can reach out. You can send me an email. I am pretty much always connected. And I always, I pretty much always reply to anybody who sends me any question or who asks for help. I'm always, always happy to help startups as well. when they're like, oh, you know, we don't know how to do it. I'm, I do a lot of coffee chats with people here in Singapore. Like, hey, you know, I would like to do this. I would like to do that for free, right? Like not or anything like I'm always happy to be involved I'm very involved in the entrepreneurial and startup community but mostly any of the social media under my name if you type my name I come up my blog comes up my LinkedIn comes up my Twitter my Facebook my Instagram everything comes up so any channel that's most uh, uh, useful for anybody well we started with your name and we ended that way too so easy peasy having the name uh, Mar pronounce it again Mar Pages there, Mar Pages. So thank you, Mar, for coming on to our show. Once again, what are the sites as well? You have the couple of blogs. Once in a Lifetime Journey and Singapore and Beyond. Perfect. Uh, so I'll have those links below. I definitely encourage you to reach out to Mar. She's definitely very knowledgeable, uh, definitely very experienced and expert in this area of influencer marketing. I'm super happy to have covered this topic for all of our listeners and viewers out there. Uh, thanks again, Mar, and we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. Pleasure being uh, with you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning into this episode, a very important one with this uh, movement towards more and more influencer marketing. So if you have further questions, definitely uh, leave them below if you're watching YouTube or on the show notes, and we'll make sure we answer any unanswered questions. So thanks, everyone. I will catch up with you guys in the next episode of Digital Nomad Mastery, where we teach you how to make money and how to make influence while traveling.